it's Friday the 9th of March and welcome to the Xbox World Strongcast. It's Strongcast number 10. I'm Xbox World Associate Editor Andy Hartup and today I'm joined by Mike Gapper. You alright? And Andy Kelly. Hello. Uh, regular listeners will know Matt Castle isn't here. He's uh, he's, he's busy. He's don't he's don't let me let me tell, let me explain. Go on he's, then. he's at the doctor's because of his this bum problem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's the absolute one hundred percent truth. Matt Castle has a bum it's problem. A mystery bum problem yeah. that no doctor can di- diagnose. The flying one from Japan, a bum expert. He's, yeah, a bum expert. And he's gonna. He's got. He's bringing special equipment. It's drilling equipment to yeah. uh, to investigate the problem. He's got very. He's got really big hands. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a nice highbrow start to the podcast. That's actually, anyway. that's actually an old Xbox World joke. Whenever anybody uh, was missing from the podcast, we'd always say they were at the doctors with a bum problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely nothing to do with the magazine deadline. It's it's definitely a bum problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, today we're going to be talking about Mass Effect. Now, before you uh, turn off and go, good God, I don't want any spoilers. Mass Effect's only just come out today. We're not as lucky to get it at the same time as you guys. There won't be any spoilers in here. If there are any spoilers, they will be edited out. Think of this as something you could listen to. Maybe if you're you're waiting to go home and play it somewhere, you've got your iPod, or you've played it and you want to just hear some thoughts on it. Um, But we're not going to be saying, wasn't it great when Shepard XX the XX? Yeah, I love that That bit. That bit was good, though. But yeah, so yeah, don't worry about story spoilers, because we know how it's a story-led game, and to spoil it is, you know... It would be the worst crime. Yeah, we've been really sensitive about it in the office as well. People don't want to hear that shit, you know. Yeah. So we've been keeping it, keeping a lid on it. Um, but both Andy and I finished the game last night. Um, well, Andy finished it a while back. I finished it last night, but we both finished it at this point. And maybe a month or two down the line, we'll look at talking more about sort of the story points in the game. But for now, you can you're, you're quite safe listening to the Xbox World podcast. So. Um... I guess, you know, all the reviews came out on Tuesday, all really glowingly positive. Like, I, I don't think I've read a negative review of Mass Effect. Apart from the apart user from reviews. Apart from the user reviews, which we will get to. Yeah. Um, Andy, you reviewed it for Xbox World. Yeah. Uh, agree with all the all the other reviews? I mean, what, what did you think was, was the best thing about Mass Effect? Yeah, every, everyone that reviewed it and all the reviews I've read have, have echoed the same points I had. Um, I think it's because it's not. I think the leap from one to two was significant, and then in that two is you know is a different game in many ways. It's so much better. And um, the leap from two to three isn't nearly as broad, but it's like an it's they haven't repeated themselves, which is good. It's not mm. the same game, but it's the same sort of. It, it's it feels to me like a bit like Mass Effect two point five in a way, you know. I, I agree with you from like a technical standpoint. It yeah. doesn't it doesn't feel like a huge oh my god, it's it's, yeah. it's you know, it's practically a next gen game. It's got game. the same kind of rhythm. But it is a very it. different game. Yeah. I yeah. yeah, I think that the what what's what I raised in the review and some other people have thought and some other, some people have disagreed with is that two had this really linear structure that lent itself to a game nicely. It was form a crew, mm-hmm. go through the Amiga relay, mm-hmm. beat the collectors. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the nature of this being a big galactic war, what I liked about it is that you'd be on your way to do something, and something else would happen. It was less. It was more. There was more uncertainty in the story. Um, things would happen that would catch me off guard, and mm. decisions I would make left me genuinely. Well, uh, you know, something I found that there perhaps wasn't enough to catch me off guard. What I really wanted was crazy moments where you're just walking through the citadel, and someone literally just grabs you out of nowhere and goes, "Shepherd, my people are stuck on this planet." And you've got to go and rescue yeah. them, which does kind of happen. 
but it's always a scanning challenge, not yeah. an actual mission. Because you know in, <clears throat> in Mass Effect 2, you'd often just scan a planet they yeah. be like, oh, there's a mission on this planet. Mm. You'd be looking for like, like you know, the bit of Ezo, bit of Element yeah. Zero, but you ended up finding a whole new mission to explore. Yeah. There's none of that surprise when you are given a mission by someone on the Citadel. It's almost always just go and recover this object from yeah. me on Planet X. You go to Planet X, you do a scan of the planet, you send a probe down, you get the object, you return yeah. to the Citadel, give the guy his thing. For me, the side missions in this were actually quite disappointing. Yeah. But the mainline campaign missions were just amazing. Yeah, that's that's what I was yeah referencing. The story missions, I agree about the side missions being um, mm. not as... There's not that sense of Star Trek-esque space exploration. But I, what I was referring to with the uncertainty thing is the story where you'll be on your way to do something innocuous or you think, I know what's going to happen here and then something else will happen. Um I can't give any. There, there are like three or four examples, really good examples of that I, I could give here to really seal my point <laughs> with a, a wax seal. But I can't say anything specific. But yeah, you're just gonna have to trust me on that. <laughs> yeah, I think if you've played through Mass Effect One and Two, you know exactly what's gonna be coming up. You know, you know the choices that you made, and you know some of those choices will play out to different extents. Some, I think, Andy may be getting at. You made a choice. And you thought, oh well, you know. It was yeah. a, that was that was a little thing. Maybe it's not going to be such a big deal, and then it turns out to be something you know really key to the campaign. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be something I'm finding well, out. Well, you the know, moment. there's a funny thing when you reach the end of the game. There's a really good chance you'll sit there and you'll go, "Well, none of my decisions really mattered along the way." Certainly, I felt that way. Yeah. And then I sat down and talked to Andy about the ending he got, and you know that end, the, you know, sort of when the when the ending comes, I think a lot of people are going to you're going to see a lot of people online saying but the endings aren't so much different. But when you start taking into account all the things you've done along the way, and all, how all the choices played out in all three games, you start realising, Jesus, like, Andy and I played two different games when we yeah, played Mass yeah. Effect 3. And Mass Effect does, well, the thing about Mass Effect is it doesn't really change the story based on your choices. That's a big trick. Yeah. What it does is it re- always respects the choices and reflects the choices you've made. So... What will happen is say, and everyone knows, if you killed, Re- if you could kill Rex in the first game, or mm. you could take him with you. Yeah. Well, in Mass Effect two and three, there will be a, the story will progress whether you have got Rex or not, and it will replace Rex with someone with another, it, a another Krogan with a another Krogan. With, yeah. You know, we know this from Mass Effect two, so no spoilers. Mm. But it always replaces him with another Krogan who basically says the same lines, but. He doesn't say the same things. You might be saying that maybe making the same ultimate point, which is like, yeah, okay, we'll fight for you if you do thing X. Yeah. Mm. But whereas Rex will say, Shepard, you're my best friend, of course we'll help you. Yeah. Of course we'll help you if you do this thing for us. And another Krogan will go, all right, human, maybe we'll help if you do this thing for us. Yeah. And it's a small thing, but it, you do build up bonds with these characters. And we, I found that when we got, they got to the end of the game, because... I had taken a certain character with me all the way, and Andy hadn't. We got two very different conversations at the end, yeah. which really respected and reflected the choices we made along the way. Yeah. And that, I think, is so cool. It's not about changing the whole game. I mean, you can't change the whole game when you have to make it in two years and yeah. you have mm. to voice every line of dialogue. It was, it was um, just to, to seal that point, it was, what, 700-something days between them finishing two and finishing three, yeah. Yeah. which for a game of that scope with so much voice acting. And, it's, it's the voice yeah. acting that kills it. You know, you, you still got to fit all of this stuff on the disc. 
and the number of lines of dialogue they've they've created because I left Mass Effect 2 with all 12 people surviving yeah the amount of lines of dialogue they created just for characters who might not make it into the sequel is amazing yeah if you think oh you know what I I I took Jack with me in the uh, the second game, but I know she can't join my squad in the third game, so she's probably just going to appear for like ten seconds and then vanish. Yeah, think again. Like any character who survived that first game, mm. it's got a good ten minutes of just uh, dialogue. They can just chat to you about. They play a key role in important missions, and guess what? They they will affect the outcome of those missions. Yeah, yeah. that that is a very good example because I was talking to you about that. Yeah. Um, Again, nothing, nothing specific, but I, um, you know, about four hours in, I played a, played a mission, and it played out a certain way, and as Mass Effect 3, you'll find with Mass Effect 3, it has a way of making you feel sad even when you've won. Yeah. It's, it's more, more than any other game, you think, you, you get the sense that the, the galaxy's at war, and you get the sense that, you know, nothing is sacred, like... You will lose people. You will I, definitely I, I lose feel, people. I felt all the way to Mass Effect 3 that I, was gonna, I could lose anyone at any yeah. time. Yeah. And one, one mission I did, um, some, something quite bad happened at the end. I lost, lost one of the characters from that particular mission who was just introduced at the start of that mission. I felt really bad about the way I lost them. But then I came in and talked to Mike about it the next day, and Mike said, well, actually, my playthrough turned out completely different. Yeah. Because... I lost three characters at the end of the series. Apparently, I lost three. I think I only lost two, but I didn't play one. Yeah, bit whatever, of DLC. killer. Yeah, but um, yeah, it it played out very differently at the end for Mike because he saved one of those characters. Yeah, and they influenced this mission. And you know, like Mike was saying, it may not change the ultimate end. I mean, you you will get different endings, but it you know the the choices you made may not change the end, but it will definitely change the journey that what you. What I was surprised is. Uh, as you come to the end of the game, you are faced with sort of certain key choices. But based on the choices you've made in earlier game, earlier games, and earlier in the campaign of Mass Effect Three, some of those choices will be closed off to yeah. you. And that was something I really didn't expect because I went you know, as I was hurtling towards the end. I had a world of choice opened up to me because I had a really a three really successful playthroughs because mm. I fully geeked out on all three games and just like exhausted, sucked every ounce of fun from the game yeah. of Marrow. Um, and I had every possible choice open to me, but it's very easy to go into the final battles and have choices that are locked off just because you didn't A, bring enough troops to the fight or you didn't bring a certain character to the fight. Yeah. And I think this also plays into the whole galactic readiness thing, which we're going to get into, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of you at home will have heard about, oh, yeah, you know, there's, you can't get the best ending to the game if you don't play online, but that's bullshit. You can get the best ending... Uh, the galactic readiness thing. Do you want to explain how this works? Yeah, because yeah, you've, you've looked into this a lot. Haven't you? Yeah, well, when when we got given the game to review, uh, we couldn't go online with it, and we couldn't import a save game. Mm. So, um, whenever I would look at, uh, there's a thing in the game called war assets. It's not a spoiler to say this because it's the key mechanic of the game where yeah. you're building an army, yeah. basically. And so the more every unit you collect along the way is worth a certain number of yeah, points. Yeah, like a number. Like, you know, you might get like a, a uh, an alliance fleet might be a thousand points. Yeah, whatever. And so, a Krogan fleet will be worth X number of points. So even yeah. certain characters may be worth yeah. five, yeah. ten points. Yeah, or even just, yeah, just like a, you know, like the reporter that you can punch in every game. If you get her on side, that's like five war yeah. assets. So you get this figure. But that figure is halved 
um, by a thing called galactic readiness. Mm. The lowest gal- the galactic readiness, the lowest it'll ever be is fifty percent. Yeah, and, and when that, you yeah. first play the game, it's set at fifty percent. Yeah, that means if you've got ten thousand more assets, which you won't, I think it's I think the max is like seven thousand. Yeah, if you've got seven thousand war assets. You haven't. You've actually got three thousand five hundred war yeah. assets. And that yeah, so. You, uh, I couldn't go online, and I thought, well, you know, that sucks. Me, my readiness is at fifty percent. Uh, it's having, you know, because I had like five thousand war assets in total, and that was cut down to like two thousand eight hundred or something like that, mm. you know. And um, so yeah, I I I, I contacted Bioware about it because I thought it's such a big thing. This, if the multiplayer is affecting the single player story, then that's terrible, you know. But um, as it turns out, the readiness thing is just a way of getting a better ending quicker by playing multiplayer, playing um, Mass Effect Infiltrator on iPhone or iPad. Um, so by playing these games, um, that gets your readiness up. So you can you can improve your score. So if you don't want to go through every side mission and scan every planet to get war the full war assets the legitimate way, you can play these uh, multiplayer or Infiltrator to essentially cheat your way to a better ending. Yeah. So that's all it is. It just gets you there quicker. I did play a couple of rounds of online, which got my readiness up to 50-80%, which is like a slim margin. Yeah. But I went into the final battles in that game with... I did every single side mission. And the thing is, if you've just spent 50 quid on this game or 40 quid on this game, I would imagine... You're gonna want to suck every bit of fun yeah. out of it, right? You're yeah. gonna you're gonna play all the side missions. You're gonna play everything. Yeah. Well, trust me, you don't need to worry about getting your readiness up because you're gonna have so many assets. Like you got this bar, and it fills up with with green. You know, yeah. you fill the bar up. My bar was completely green, but with about eight hours to go to the end of the game, and I was still adding yeah. thousands <clears> of points <throat> of assets to it you can easily get the best ending without ever yeah. touching the multiplayer. And you'll get more assets um, if you import your save game and uh, a lot of characters have survived that um, that, are, that the game de- determines are dead when you set up a default Shepard without a previous so, profile. So, so tell, you know. tell us a little bit about how that works because um, I know a lot of people are long-time fans of Mass Effect and they'll play the first one and the second one. But how does the game decide, you know... What what choices you made because Mass Effect Three is is very much about a lot of those choices sort of coming home to roost yeah. for you. It, it may, so it, if you start yeah. a new game, yeah, how does that well, work? Are we can we talk freely about the end of Mass Effect Two here in this podcast? Do you think? Uh, yeah, I think. So. I, 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 mean, I think it's, just, it's safe it's to do years. so. I mean, we'll just say we'll yeah. just say now we are going to be talking about the end of Mass yeah. Effect Two and Mass Effect yeah. One. So if you haven't finished them, if you're planning on doing that before Mass Effect Three, yeah. don't listen to this next section. Okay, well, when you set up a new Shepard without a previous profile, the only choice you get to make is um, uh, losses. So you can decide whether Caden died and won mm-hmm. or Ashley died. Well, and you a, save Rex, right? No, there's, there's, only, oh. there's only three options. There's Caden, Ashley, and there's one called Numerous. Oh, yeah, so Numerous is, um, is, is Caden, uh, it would be Caden or Ash. Yeah. Plus a, bun- a random selection of the guys yeah. from Mass mm-hmm. Effect 2. Because everyone should probably know, you go into the end of Mass Effect 2 with a, with potentially 12 guys into that ending. Mm. And the way you get the best ending is to take the biggest group you can. Yeah. Now, two of those are DLC characters, so you can actually get the best ending with 10 characters. But um, you can go into the final mission, and in theory, you could lose everybody, including yeah. Shep. Well, yeah. that's really hard to do. There are there are fantastic videos online of someone getting the worst ending. Yeah. And you see him. You see him at the end when he jumps for the shuttle. He's lost all his crew, yeah. and he jumps and he misses it and down, plummets, yeah. and that's there's just, it. There's just no one but Joker there to catch it's him. All really yeah. sad. Yeah, yeah. yeah it is. So you can um, you can have that 
if you select numerous, it will kill randomly Ashley or yeah. Kaiden, then randomly a bunch of the guys from yeah. the, the uh, so, second game. So that's the only choice you can make when you set up a new, brand new Shepherd, and they are just character-based. You can't make mm. any plot-type decisions. So the game makes them for you. Um, ones I know for sure is that um, you killed Rex yeah. by default. You destroyed the collector's base, which annoyed me because I'd saved it. And that, whether you destroyed or saved the collector's base, does have a bearing on the ending, I hear. Um, so that makes that choice for you. Um, also, uh, it tells you that Thane died. Mm -hmm. um, it tells you that Kelly died. Chambers, she yeah. got liquefied in the smoothie maker at the no. end of that. And how you can tell, actually, is if you look on the crew deck on the Normandy, there's a memorial wall, mm. and the names will be on there of who died by default. Yeah, the memorial wall's really cool. Um, obviously, Kaiden was on there for mine and probably for 90% of the game, yeah. the copies of Mass Effect in the world. But as you go through the game, more names will get added to yeah, it. Yeah, including people who have just yeah, recently died. And another decision it makes is that you killed the Rachni Queen. So it's quite, you know, the default mm. decisions I've made are quite like if you put as a really militant Shep who was just like... You know. It's quite harsh, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, that was the disappointment for me playing it because a lot of stuff that I'd la laboured over deciding and two, mm. the game was now deciding for me the opposite. But that, that there, there are probably other ones, but those are the ones I know for sure. It's a shame because I know um, the PS3 version of Mass Effect 2 came out a year after the Xbox version and it came with a little... Uh, digital comic which you read through to recap all the events of Mass Effect 1 and you actually made little decisions as you were yeah, watching the comic. it created a save file for one essentially without you having to play it. So it would, have been, it would have been nice to have something like that again. I mean it would have been a little bit more complex especially you know because, because there were a lot of factors in terms of who survives at the end of Mass Effect 2 who doesn't. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'd, I'd have liked to have seen it. I'm sure they could have done well, that. I, I mean, they spent a lot of time doing the iOS game and the multiplayer. Surely they could have done yeah, a yeah. better catch up. I'll tell you what, Mass Effect Three does really well. It's like as you're just walking around the Citadel doing. I tell you what, the one the one other thing, the new Citadel's really good. Mm. Like the Citadel in the first game was just a frigging maze. Yeah, everything looked the it's same. Too big. And it was way too big. Yeah. Um, and Mass Effect Two, even that had like a little bit of that going on on the Amiga station and yeah. stuff it was a bit of a maze a bit a bit did lots of long corridors yeah well um mass effect 3 has none of that actually all of the spaces are re really makes sense and really easily navigable it's like five of them yeah four or five of them yeah, yeah. and as you jet around the galaxy and doing doing your thing every now and again you'll run into someone who goes hey shepherd remember me i'm the guy you helped on this mission x i just want to say thanks and yeah. hey i hope you hope you're well and or like you'll be on a mission and you'll run into a guy saying, "Hey, you remember me, right? You you saved my life in this this game, which I, when you saved my life five years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're talking about here. Let's not let's not mess mm. around. Like we've been playing Mass Effect one game essentially for five years, yeah, yeah. and there's something so powerful about that. Going, hey, do you remember me? And you're like, I really don't, but if you, <laughs> if you uh, if you say so, and I say I helped, then I guess I did. It's so powerful. I, I played all through the whole of Mass Effect three with my girlfriend sitting on the sofa behind me, she was following the story. You can follow the story without ever playing a Mass Effect. Yeah. If, you, if you're worried about getting into it, then don't worry, you can get into it. Although, you can probably pick up Mass Effect 2 from game right now for like two quid. They're having a fire sale at the moment. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about that later. You can, right now, you can probably get Mass Effect 2 from game real and Game Station real, yeah. real cheap. And honestly, the games aren't so dramatically, mechanically different that you would be like missing out if you decided to play Mass Effect 2 right now. Yeah. No. I think if you went back to Mass Effect 1, it'd be a bit of a oh, culture that shock. Would, yeah. those, I yeah. mean, I, I'm not even going to dream... I wouldn't even dream of touching Mass Effect 2 right now. That game's got to be... That's, that's got to feel rotten. The original, it's yeah. It's got to feel 
Buffy is all shit. Well, I went back to two. Um, as, as soon as I finished three, I, I went out and bought two. I went back to it. And it is, I didn't notice playing three that it was visually any better dramatically. But when you look back at two, three has come on mm. so Particularly much. Particularly in the characters. Like, Liara yeah. looks amazing. Though. Yeah, like, textures. The, 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 the faces and stuff, they all yeah. look just amazing. The, the Asaris look brilliant in Mass Effect 3. Yeah, yeah. They've got some sort of special Asari rendering yeah, tech. Yeah. yeah, they've spent a real long yeah. time on the Asari because they've all got this slight, slight scaliness to their skin. Not yeah, scaliness, yeah. it's almost... Like a translucency, Rep, yeah, yeah, yeah. and their, their eyes look, yeah, piercing, oh, the eyes piercing just, yeah. eyes, amazing. Yeah. So, um, just going back to Mass Effect Two and talking about the relationship that has with Mass Effect Three, am I right in thinking both of you guys survived the suicide mission with no casualties? No casualties. Yeah, I did, but obviously I couldn't import my save to three, so it didn't matter. But yeah, yeah I did. So you, get uh, through when it, you yeah. were playing the, on, we should say we were playing review code on a debug console. Mm. Yeah. When not on your own personal machine, yeah. So yeah. You, which you can't connect to the internet, but yeah. Um, when I played two properly, um, uh, yeah, everyone survived, and I was quite proud of that fact. But mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I I did it too without even like using a guide or anything. I just knowing the characters as I did, as I got to know them over the course of that game. I knew who would be right for each job, yeah. and you hear a lot of people talking online going, "It's completely friggin' random," and I don't yeah. think it is. No. Um, there's people who claim to have uh, randomly lost certain characters, but I, I'm almost certain if you go into that final mission with, and you've had every possible conversation with every possible character, this is the important part. You have to make friends with and earn the loyalty mm, of yeah. every character. That's what helps get them through the mission, yeah, their loyalty yeah. to, the, to you and the crew. The, the other thing that gets them through the mission is using them for the right job. The right job. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious that you wouldn't send, like, Grunt down the little tunnel at the start yeah. where you need to send an yeah. engineer... Yeah. Um, but I mean, I I was I was puzzled that I lost one of the characters because I lost Grunt and Jack. Now, I wasn't puzzled about losing Jack because I really just didn't like Jack, so I didn't didn't get on with her as well. And she was a bit of a non-event in my game. And I'm not surprised that she died at the end. To be honest, I didn't didn't give her any love at all. I um, used her for, for almost every mission. She was my yeah. biotic specialist. Well, when when um, I I used Miranda because. Of the sexy option, you used Miranda's ass. I did, and um, she's she's a she's just an, a walking ass. She was she was a walking ass, but she served a purpose and she <coughs> survived my playthrough. I so saw it was all to do with the the, the tasks that you assigned to the characters, and it's not just about. I, I learned later, it's not just about you know when you when you do the defending the the door thing. You don't just choose the toughest character. You perhaps choose one with better leadership and things like that. And like Mike yeah. was saying. You've got to get to know your characters, and it's not just—it's not just sort of playing through and saying, "Well, I did all their loyalty missions, and I took them with me a lot. They're going to survive." You have to pick them for the right jobs. It's, it's by, yeah, get, you know, like um, one of them involves hacking, and if you know Tally's character, you know that the very reason you met Tally in the first mm. game is because of her hacking skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, by using the knowledge that you've built up, talking to them over the course of games, mm. you should just know instinctively what you know. Like like Shepard would have to; you'd have to know his team. Yeah. what they were good at so uh, anyone that got anyone killed mm. it's because they made the right choice the wrong choice or they didn't do a loyalty mission it's yeah. that simple yeah. there's, a, there's a definite science to it well I um, I'm actually glad I lost two characters I'm glad about that Well, because I, lo- I like the fact that my shepherd has a, a sort of scar on his history yeah, yeah. you lost three characters my third character was Kasumi from the uh, uh, so who you never had DLC in the first place because I downloaded that after I'd finished Mass Effect 2 and I started playing through again as a fe- as Femshep, mm. did the loyalty mission, did the Kasumi mission, 
but didn't finish my Femshet playthrough. Oh, right. So Kasumi you is on, on my second one. Yeah, I we'll get me started on that. <laughs> what, what's wrong with Femshet? Just think it's... It sounds like a sanitary towel. <laughs> yeah, it does yeah. a bit. Yeah, I just think it's a silly word. <laughs> so, um... I think you a silly word. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the multiplayer and the Infiltrator game, because they are options. You can boost your readiness with them. Are they, yeah. are they worth doing? Yeah, multiplayer's crap. I mean, it's... They... they, they the trick, the thing is, these days you you stick a multiplayer mode onto a game so that people don't sell the game immediately after finishing it. That's yeah. that's the theory, and you make it hopefully engaging enough that people will want to stick with the game. Uh, you know, Mass Effect 3's multiplayer game is a very very basic serviceable version of Gears of War's Horde, except Gears of War's Horde, Horde is really really good and complex and tactical mm. and fun and what you've got in Mass Effect 3 is by nature of the combat in Mass Effect what they do is they don't send like really smart enemies who try to outflank you at you they send big old bullet sponges Yeah. and even in Mass Effect 3 and you had this conversation Andy when we went to meet them mm. um, when we went to Edmonton he said well you know the, the now the, um, the Reapers don't fight like uh, the Cerberus, mm. Cerberus don't fight like uh, you know any other race, and they all fight. Everyone fights differently, I and mean, that's what they were told. And they do kind of, but only by virtue of them using different machinery on the battlefield. Like Cerberus are always trying to set up sentry guns, they set up force fields, they bring in these massive heavy mechs. Um, the uh, the Reapers, tro- different various ground troops will do their thing. They'll like, one of them will march around the battlefield, munching up the bodies of dead yeah. things. Mm-hmm. But guess what? It does it so slowly. You chance to start it'll be dead before everybody yeah. has a chance and to do it. One that. of them can like, um, like the uh, cannibals can like put armor plating on yeah. marauders. But I never even that. saw that happen because I was killing them at such a, a, yeah. a breakneck speed. As soon as you see a cannibal going to eat one of a body, you can just get kill it. And, and they have no armor to start with, so you just hit them with a fireball and they're down. Yeah, yeah. Similarly, marauders come along, they got armor, and you just hit them with overload, and boom, mm-hmm. they, they yeah, just, yeah. You, can, you can start just ripping them apart. Uh, the combat's actually really good, I think, but it's it's not. It's still a game where their priorities are divided. Their priorities are divided between storytelling and action and building this whole universe and really, really nice graphics and digital acting. Yeah. And because of that, you know, this, the action will never be as good as a Halo, as good as mm. a Gears of War. Still the best of the series, though. Yeah. 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 But, you know, if you notice something funny, you always run around with your gun pointed straight forward. Yeah. Do you know why that is? They literally don't have enough memory left over for combat and non-combat animations in the same space. So that's why Shepard... Yeah, I always find it really distracting how his gun's always held out in front of him. He's them. always mm. waving his gun. Like, you know, in Gears of War, they'll just, like, lower their gun when yeah. they're walking. They'll raise it when they're, sh- they're shooting. Yeah. Or any game, they'll host, you know, Tomb yeah. Raider. She holds yeah. her gun. But in Mass Effect, they don't. In Mass Effect 3, yeah. he's always got his gun thrust forward. forward. And I think in Mass Effect 2, they shelved the gun. Yeah. Mm. But not in Mass Effect no, 3. No, in 1, you did. In 2, it was always out. Okay, well, in 2 and 3, yeah. it's because... They're doing. They're just pushing the the console so friggin' far. Yeah. They don't have anything left over to just to have that that one extra animation because they had to have animations, new animations for ladder climbing, jumping yeah. across gaps, and possibly the, the worst yeah. sprint animation in video game yeah. history. Because yeah, I, I, when I started playing too, it was really distracting that you, you can't roll. Yeah. Or in a cover. Yeah. So that, you missed that. that yeah. yeah. 
that little thing and three just gives it a little bit of extra. And they make you use it as well. There's certain enemies which will fire these big, slow-moving yeah. projectiles right at your position. You that, want to <clears> duck and roll. They that melee grenades thing. at you now, don't they? Yeah, yeah they do. That's, that's They're quite things. aggressive, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. But that, um, that new melee attack, though, sucks. There's no sense of impact with it. No. You know, the, the biotic... It looked uh, great in thing. trailers as well. It looked yeah. like you were really ganking. But there's none of that. Um, you know, when you use the Lancer, you feel the... Uh, the uh, when you put the chainsaw through someone, yeah, you mm, feel yeah. every inch of that chainsaw. But whereas this, uh, some, that's the thing, if you use it and the enemy moves away, you're trapped in the animation, so you're just swatting at the air. Yeah, what it needs to be is much like Gears of War. It needs to be like, you get up close, you hit that button, it just locks yeah. you into this mm. animation where you get a really good... Although, the most satisfying, one of the most satisfying things I've ever done in a video game is getting the Cerberus guys right through the mail slot. There's a guys with shields. Yeah. If you put a sniper bullet right through the slot in their shield, you instantly get a headshot, yeah. and it just pops their head. And the shield drop clatters to the ground, body falls. Yeah, that's good. That that's I done that really like good. I think I done that four times because it gives you a little count. It's an achievement it? after ten yeah. of them. Yeah. What what I, those shield guys? I like that. I guess this could lead us onto the weapon mod thing where. Um, you can put two mods on any weapon now. And I had an armor-piercing thing, so I could just shoot through those guys' shields oh, nice. like they weren't even uh, there. I never even thought of doing that. Yeah, and it, it just makes them they, I would just totally um, use uh, Singularity, get Liaris or cast Singularity yeah. and mm. float them away. Just just flap around, yeah. So some of the weapon mods you can get, it's, it's a new thing. It's quite simplistic. You can stick, like, a, a extended barrel on that gives you extra More power. Damage, yeah. The armor-piercing thing's really useful. You can stick on a scope onto an SMG, so you can go, or even a pistol, so you've got, like, a zooming sight. Um, it's, it's quite, you know, it just gives you a little extra layer of customization. Yeah, it's fun. It's, it's a nice thing. I mean, it'd be nice if visually it altered the guns a bit more, but yeah. I think it's kind of cool. Um, but, you know, you, got, you, can, with, you can, all of this carries over to the multiplayer mode. You can mod your guns up. You can mod your powers in the multiplayer mode, just like you can in single player. Can you choose armor parts, like in single player, for multiplayer? Do you unlock different helmets and I, shoulder pads and yeah, possibly but I think it might also just come with the character you choose because you actually choose yeah. like human engineer human oh, uh, right. biotic you know mm. Asari engineer like you play as you can play as other uh, yeah and, and yeah, it unlocks races, them yeah. so you can it's actually like I think it's like um uh, if you have a Battlefield 3 save, yeah. it will unlock a Battlefield 3 custom human sort of commando ah, right. for you and stuff like that. Um, and I think it outfits them with the, certainly the rest of the same kit, but you can colour it however you want. Can you play as a Hanna? Probably not. No. Probably Can't not. play as a Hanna. <laughs> with a machine gun. That yeah. would rule. That's a feature everyone's still waiting I wanna, for. I want to play as a uh, uh, an Elcor. He's with a <laughs> yeah. giant, giant gun on the back. <laughs> really, really slow. Yeah. Warlike scream, you're dead. That's quite good. That's quite a good impression. The multiplayer is anguish, um, man down. The, most, the multiplayer is um, functional, just barely functional. The cheap thing they pull is um, that all of the multiplayer maps are actually in the campaign. Oh really? All oh, it's the old it's cod the, trick. It's, it's the end yeah. missions. So you play, um, you play all of those missions in the campaign. They actually, they actually put hold together really well. Mm. Yeah. Because uh, the AI is quite good now. It makes good use of space. It's, it, I, I wouldn't say you're going to have like dramatically different experiences when you play online with buddies, just because it's going to be a bunch of bullet sponge bad guys coming at you. Yeah. And you're just going to be pumping round after round after round. And you know everyone's there for the same reason. No one's there to enjoy themselves. Yeah. They're there to get the power, power, just power level. Yeah. Just yeah. power level. So um, not particularly recommended. I had a quick look at the uh, the iPhone game yesterday as yeah, well. Yeah, what's that like? Uh, I haven't played it. I watched a video of it on YouTube. It looks ass. 
<laughs> it really looks yeah. ass. That's, that's the criticism Xbox was paid for. It. I haven't played it, but I, it don't, I, I did watch a video of it. Yeah. Well, I don't, I I don't believe in iOS gaming generally. I don't use no. my phone for uh, gaming at all. Well, but the problem with it is, what they could have done is is made quite maybe like a neat galactic strategy game or something yeah. like that. something that like you could sort of yeah something you could play on you on you like with a touch screen. What they've done is they've tried to simulate Mass Effect combat, but on like a, t- a screen that you touch and don't yeah. have like thumbsticks for. So it just looks really complicated, you know, you, you're swiping this one corner of the screen to select your biotic power and you're trying to tap on the screen to make him shoot and you're trying to tap elsewhere on the screen to make him move and it just looks all really sort of awkward and forced and it just doesn't look like a lot of fun and it's five quid, which is quite expensive for a oh, really? it's game. Really? Yeah. But but it's got that thing. People will buy it. Oh, it's got a clever, because it, dirty because it's trick. Got, because you can you pick up intel, and that increases your galactic but readiness. If you finish it, you get a war asset. Yeah, it's not even just oh, really? about increasing mm. your galactic readiness either. They've got another dirty trick, which is in Xbox and Xbox Live and on PSN. Mm. You're not allowed to sell in-game currency. There's ways around it. You can you can do certain you can do you can sell. Say you got a, a map in a game. Yeah. That you un- a level maybe a character that you unlock with five hundred in-game fun bucks. Yeah. Mm. Well, my EA or whatever company can then say, oh, you know, you can have the shortcut pack which unlocks that character for a hundred yeah. point, Microsoft yeah. points. But you're not allowed to directly sell in-game currency. That's, at least that's the way it always used to be. Yeah. So with this iPhone game, if you buy them for your five quid, you can buy shortcuts in the iPhone game. You can, you can buy credits in the iPhone game, yeah. which will then appear on your account in the console version. Was, that's devious, man. Yeah, that's, that di- is devious. that's some diabolical. I'd be shit surprised if uh, Sony and Microsoft the, didn't clamp down on that little loophole. That's some diabolical. The, shit. the biggest pack you can buy for the iPhone game in terms of credits, so you can get you can get credits for the iPhone game. Guess how much it costs for two? I think it's two hundred thousand <coughs> credits for a five pound iPhone. Yeah, in game terms, that is a lot of credits. Yeah, though. nine quid. For it, like, okay, what do you reckon, Mike? Uh, six quid, thirty-five pounds. <laughs> How many credits? And you just there's nothing to spend credits on in Mass Effect. Though you've always got plenty. You've always got plenty, but at the end, of the, if you wanted to buy everything in the game, yeah, that extra two hundred thousand credits would almost get you there. Thirty-five quid and in game to get some. If, if you bought the game and the that it's called the CEO pack, forty pounds <laughs> on an iPhone game. That, is, that sucks. That is ridiculous. Just just because you can link it up to Mass I literally cannot believe what I'm hearing. Thirty-five pounds. Yep. Thirty-five pounds. Well, you get you, you do realise you could like go out for a really nice meal yeah. for thirty-five pounds. You go for a nice meal and take someone with you. <laughs> like I'm not so I'm not talking a pizza hut meal either. I'm talking like to a yeah. decent family run yeah. restaurant. That's that's madness. I mean you'd have to skip dessert, but you can still do it <laughs> yeah. for thirty five quid. It's mind blowing, isn't it? That, that if anyone was going to find out a way to make money that way, then it was going to be a big company like EA or Activision. It's no one's a, going to buy it. No one's going to buy that. There'll be some nutter who will. Like you know, in MMOs, people will buy on eBay. Will you know buy yeah. stuff off gold farmers? They'll buy like a uh, hundred thousand World of Warcraft gold yeah. for you know hundreds of pounds. It feels it feels very much like EA sort of tested this 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 whole Mass Effect thing about the. It being linked to the iPhone game, it being linked to multiplayer. Feels like EA sort of pushed, seeing how far they can push people, like doing a little experiment, saying, "Well, well, can can we uh, can we sort of negate our pre-owned sales this yeah, way? Yeah. Can we sell iPhone games this way? 
how far are people willing to go? Yeah. And then there's someone complains, they go, oh, sorry, we didn't think it would offend. And they well, no, they, cut off the, the list of they, stuff. They just say fans. it was all optional. Yeah. Because yeah. you can play through the single player game and finish it, get, get, get the best ending, whatever. But they just want to see, you know, how far they can push microtransactions. It's, it's quite cynical. Yeah. Um, but it would have been even more cynical if you couldn't get the best ending without playing multiplayer or without playing yeah. Infiltrator, yeah. I think. Well, I think if you buy a game like Mass Effect and you don't 100%, you, know, 100% it, you don't deserve the best ending. No. Anyway. So. No. Very militant from Anakin, yeah. 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 We basically should move on, scum. but before you do, we should. There's, um, in Mass Effect 3, there is a, a cameo from a legend, a genuine yeah. legend, and you know who, what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I actually yeah. wrote it on my iPad so I could show you with on my iPhone so I could yeah, show no, you without. And yeah. so there's a, a cameo from a legendary hero, a real life yeah. legend, and it's a really cute touch. It's a really nice. It's a it's a nice moment. Um, I'll be interested to hear people's reaction to it. To be honest, yeah, yeah. For, for me, it was a proper geek out moment. I was like, well, yeah. that's that's actually definitely that's actually a really really great moment in the Mass Effect yeah. series. I got I got a little uh, little sprinkle of the old goosebumps. Yeah, yeah, it's it a, was a like, real yeah. real nice moment. Well, before we leave Mass Effect um, and before we sum it up, I think there's one area we haven't really touched upon, uh, which is sexy time. <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> And Andy, uh, I, I ask you this not because I think you're a deviant in any way, but because um, you've been doing quite a lot of stuff for our sister website, CVG, yeah. about the various romance options in the game. Uh, now, obviously, there's a number of aspects to this. One is you had two separate romance options across Mass Effect 1 and 2. You could oh, choose just, different just people. say it, Andy. Just yeah. say it. Shepard's gay now. No. He's gay. <laughs> he, lo he loves the cock man. I'm building up to Shepard being gay. <laughs> <laughs> just say it. Just spit it out. Yeah. Be around the bush. That's right. what he said. He's, he's gay now. <laughs> yeah, Damn him. Hates, Damn him. Says, hates beating around the bush. <laughs> yeah. All right, two things. One, Shep's gay. <laughs> two... Yeah. You, you, no, you, he can be gay. He can be gay. Yeah. And two, you have... Not if you believe the internet. Apparently, the guy's, yeah. the guy's as, as gay as the day is long now. Yeah. yeah. And I, it's unbelievable, man. The reaction from the internet to, to, she, to Shep's optional gayness yeah. is as, saying, it's really shone a light on gamers. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's shown them to look like a bunch of right old Some, jerks. A guy online described it as gay propaganda, and not at all mental person said that. That is weird. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah... It's, it's, it's sort of a spoiler, but it's something that's done an awful lot of traffic on the net. You yeah. can be gay with Shep. Yeah. And, and a lot of people will say, <clears throat> oh, yeah, you could be gay before, but you couldn't. Yeah. Uh, because the the lesbian option, which would be hooking up with Liara, you know, she's not a woman. Not yeah. in any conventional sense. She's and, as much a man as she's and a woman. And Femme Shep, I just said it. I, I shouldn't have said it. Femme mm. Shep. Like, female Shepherd could hook up with Kelly Chambers in two, but it wasn't a romance because you didn't get the Paramore achievement. She just did a sexy dance. Yeah, it wasn't mm. a, wasn't a proper romance because you could actually hook up with her and someone else. Yeah, it wasn't it just her. It, the, the other the, the someone else was. Yeah. So, so there are now two. There are two full romances in, as in a sequence of events: the build up, the flirting, and the the dirty times at the end uh, for both female and male Shepherd. Um, and they are proper romances. You will get power, you know, the Paramore achievement. Mm. You will and get that. I want to say the cool thing about Mass Effect 3 is it's not like there's going to be this one moment late in the game where in Mass Effect 2 it was always building towards the sex before the final battle. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Where in Mass Effect 3 they don't do that. There are chances throughout the game to hook up yeah. and you can choose there and then to, to, to go ahead and do something. Yeah. Or maybe you save yourself for your, uh, your one, yeah, true, yeah. one true love. 
You can get the uh, Paramour achievement without even having sex this time. Interesting. Yeah, and I, so I, the character I romance, we had a little, a little romantic kiss in the Presidium, in the Citadel, and uh, I got the achievement then. So oh, very nice. I'll tell you something actually. Something uh, my girlfriend pointed out last night. Um, Mass Effect is actually a little bit better at making video game characters kiss than yeah. Heavy Rain. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Heavy Rain, basically, the two characters just bang their heads together. Yeah, yeah. Like someone pushing two uh, short yeah. mannequins together. Yeah. yeah. Just, just sort of claw at each other. But in they? Mass it's Effect weird. 3, they sort of, the lips kind of connect. Yeah. Also, um, hand-holding. This is a, a big point for me. Games can never do hands-holding, but there's a great bit with the camera. It's if to hammer home the point that they've nailed it. It zooms right in yeah. on <laughs> Shepard holding my... my and set, that's whether you know. you're male or female, Shepard, because if yeah. you play female, Shepard, every now and again, your hands will go through things because yeah. the animation system's keyed for a male, Shepard. Mm. That's right. Right, yeah, you yeah. Know, but you know, I when, was, when she folds her arms, they just go right. Right, <laughs> yeah, fingers yeah. poking straight through her arms. <laughs> you know, I was actually genuinely impressed by little little touches like that, as they they sort of went the extra mile for. Yeah. Um, the internet when it, they saw the, the 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 sort of sex scenes that you because I got to say the sex scenes none of them are as long or as. I mean, the first in the first game it wasn't even graphic, but I would say well, none of them was long and as graphic yeah. as the first game. Yeah, it's sort of artfully, yeah. artfully the shot camera will legs and stuff. They're all about yeah. eight seconds long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're really short, uh, including the gay option, and uh, options plural. Yeah. And um, the video went up on YouTube, and within something like twenty-four hours, it had two hundred likes and something like nine hundred no, dislikes. No, no, yeah, it was. Yeah, well. Uh, at the highest point, it was 2,600 dislikes versus, like, 800 likes. Jesus. And the comments on there were some, you know, when when we, when the CVG put the video up, they thought, well, there's going to be a reaction to this, you know, it's quite a, mm. a touchy subject for gamers, but the, we couldn't have gauged the amount of homophobia, uh, homophobia plus racism because the, the male romance for Shepard as a black guy. Yeah. So the, the the worst gamers the the worst gamers in the I, world came any, out of the world. Anyone who says they couldn't have predicted that is fooling themselves or has never played Call of Duty online. You get yeah. on you as soon as you give and someone anonymity and yeah. a microphone, the worst of the humanity comes yeah, out. Yeah. And let me tell you, gamers are it's hey, it's why we've got an article on this month's issue from one of our writers who said, you know what, I play games but I am not a gamer. Yeah, yeah. Because the kind the kinds of guys who represent the gaming community are unfortunately it's those guys, you yeah, know. Yeah. And you know, some of it I'm sure is is I, I don't know, I'm trying to find the words here. I not I don't want to say like not genuine. I think a lot of it is, is literally just playing along with the crowd. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I, not, I don't think there's a genuine hatred in them. I yeah. just think it's more amusing to play along with the crowd. Or maybe like insecurity or a million other things. Yeah. yeah. Well, it takes, to, I imagine like on a forum like that or on a comments field like that, it takes a lot of balls to stand up and say, hey, leave the gays alone. Yeah, yeah. And when, whenever someone said that, the comment would be marked as spam. Oh, yeah, it'd be marked as spam and, yeah. and it'd be like, what? Because you're one of them, or yeah. something like me, that. Yeah. But that's like when you're at school, though, isn't it? When, yeah. when you're at school, you'd be someone go to you. Hey, listen, they might you're gay. You're like, no, I'm not. You are. 
And you go, uh, no, actually, you are. And you're like, oh, all right, so what if I am? And they go, oh, you're gay. <laughs> like, that's, that's. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It was like the episode of The Simpsons as well, where, like, the, um, the the two twins are going to Lisa, going, like, oh, I bet you love him. I bet you kiss him all the time. <laughs> Lisa's like, yes, I love him, and I kiss him all the time. I'm like, oh, she did it. She admitted it. Yeah. Oh. And, like, that's that's the oh, internet. Or oh, when Nelson goes, you kissed a girl. That's so gay. Yeah, that's, that's the internet. <laughs> yeah. That's the internet right there. And I remember... Um, Oh shit! Back in the day, the best thing we would do, COD Four, if someone's dishing out the homophobia, what you got to do is become the most flamboyantly camp person who's ever played a video game. <laughs> just to rage them up. Just John Inman on a microphone, like yeah. just be outrageously flamboyantly camp, but at the same time, defiantly hetero. Yeah, yeah. Just be like, just just be as see and just gauge the reaction. Just enjoy. Yeah. Just sit back and enjoy. Feed, feed, yeah, don't feed the trolls. Uh, play along with them. Yeah. Toy with them. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's more fun. Play play their game. But you know, you know, just because the options are doesn't mean you have to do it. So no. if you want to sex up, you know, a, a blue lady or, or a woman or a man, the options there. <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, the option was there in the first two games. You could choose different characters. If you chose different characters, there's going to be uh, there's going to be a few sparks. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to spoil anything for that. So it's just creates if you an chose interesting a dynamic. Ca- if you chose, and, and people, and this is, this is a Mass Effect 2 spoiler, not Mass Effect 3 spoiler, if you hooked up with, say, Liara in the first game and, say, Garrus in the second, which is exactly what I did, when you download the Shadow Broker DLC, yeah. Liara is not happy. She's pissed. She's pissed off. Yeah. But I talked her down. I, I got I got her, uh, I, I got her yeah. off that ledge. You can, you can get in a. The uh, same with them. If you uh, went with Miranda and two, mm. Jack would get pissed off and vice and you know vice versa. I um, I went with Ashley in the first one and Miranda in the second one. It's uh, it's causing it's causing my fem, fem <laughs> shepherd, my uh, my male shepherd a few. Uh, it's causing him a few relationship issues he's in a, the third he's game. In a love hexagon. He is. But um, it's good. I mean, it's, it's it's very well handled, as as is the, as are the rest of the choices in the game. Mm-hmm. So wrapping it up, um, it's really good game, isn't it? It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so I, I, what I would say is, it's not the best game I've ever played. It's not the most well-made game I've ever played. Every now and again, it is a little bit glitchy, and every now and again, I'm like, well, this mission I could have done without that, to be honest. But it was one of my favourite games. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyed it, in spite of uh, any, like, you know. It, it's definitely not the best game ever made, but it's a really great experience. And it comes off the back of this five-year investment, you know, and you really do feel like you get to the end of this game. You don't get some bullshit ending. You get an ending. And it is a, it is a definitive finale. I mean, if they want to do another game after this, I don't know where they're going to go. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you just one question because I think it's safe to assume that if you play the first two, go out and get it immediately yeah of course yeah. if you haven't played the first two games would you buy Mass Effect 3 no that would be like watching Return of the Jedi first I'd go pick up Mass Effect 2 right now yeah I think yeah. don't don't dive into 3 because half of the power of it is because it ties up and plays around with pre- previous experiences and 2's a really good game yeah Two's a real good game. Would you play through the first Mass Effect? Yeah. Having never played any Mass Effect before? no nah. don't, don't go because you're going to this game off. sucks yeah, yeah. I'll just put you off yeah. So there we go, Mass Effect 3, one of the best games on Xbox. Don't buy it unless you play Mass Effect 2. Yeah, Re- read, read the plot synopsis of the first one on Wikipedia, then play 2. <laughs> So 
So now, instead of uh, talking about what we've been playing or answering any of your questions, um, because we've been talking about Mass Effect an awful lot, um, we're just going to round up a few bits from uh, a few interesting bits of news from that's, what that's, has been a big week in it, games. That's, that's really selling it. Yeah. So selling the excitement and drama. I was sort of building up to it being a big week in games. It's been big, hasn't it? It has GDC been GDC week, uh, lots of big announcements, lots of... It's a sad day as well, a sad day for certain things. We had Halo. Mm. We had... Um, over on PS3, we've got Quantic Dream's new game. It's not really a game. It's sort of another one of David Cage's home videos. Which will probably make an appearance in his next game. Yeah. Which, sadly, I don't think we'll see on Xbox. Yeah. David Cage is uh, is locked up by Sony, and quite rightly so, because I think him and Quantic the, Dream are very talented. No, and it's because they're throwing money at him, because like he's, he's a guy who sort of chases little fancies. You know, he chases dreams, which is cool, and developers should do that stuff. And Sony are willing to entertain that with lots and lots of money. Well, why not? You buy a PS Vita, you're supporting David Cage. Yeah. Um, so the it first thing, my crawl. <laughs> the, the first thing we'll talk about, um, just based, just sort of coming off the back of the Mass Effect thing, is games fire sale. Because if you are looking to pick up a copy of Mass Effect Two now, might be the time. People want to know the term fire sale, of course, from Die Hard Four, mm. where yeah. <laughs> um, fire is. Uh, you know what fire sale is? It's when everything's got to go. Yeah, it's the end of the world. Get rid of everything, and um, up until now, game have actually, to be honest, we all kind of suspected game were going to survive, because what they, even though they aren't stocking Ubisoft games, EA games, including Mass Effect Three, uh, they aren't stocking Capcom games and a number of Nintendo games, uh, new games. We kind of expect them sort of to sort of transition into the pawn shop business, much like CEX did back yeah. in the day. Now, we actually had an email this week from a guy saying, you know what? You know what? Fuck EA for not again, putting copies on shelves. This is bullshit. Why aren't they letting Game have copies of their games? Well, here's why. Game have no money. Now, what they could do is they could say to EA, we'll, you allocate us however many million copies of this game, and we will hook you up with the As soon as we get the money, we get sell those copies. We'll hook you up with the money. But if their credit rating is as bad as it is, there's no coverage. When you have a company that potentially could go bankrupt, you only deal in cash. That's the rule. That's, that's the first rule, well, one of the many rules, the first rules of business. If, you're, if you've got a guy who might not be here next week, you deal in cash. Yeah. And if Game haven't got the cash to deal with EA, Capcom, Namco, uh, Nintendo, and everyone else, then... This isn't EA's fault. This isn't the publisher's fault. They're just protecting their interests. And there's plenty of other places, places you can get this game. It's just it's amazing that on day one that game won't have Mass the biggest effect, game yeah. of the year so far. There's going to be people coming in off the high street and games all over the country going, "I oh, can I get a copy of Mass Effect 3? And they're going to and the employees are going to have to explain mm. many times over. Yeah, but there's an indie store just down the road you can get. Yeah. You can probably get it at a Tesco. And get next day delivery. On Amazon, it'd yeah. be a sad old day for them, you know, having to explain over and over again that the company's. Yeah, I have friends who work at in game trouble, and I have friends who work at game, and I'm sure they're going to have that conversation over and over. And I'm sure they're going to get sick of it, and I'm yeah. sure they're going to get sh- uh, people coming in the shops getting pissy with them, mm. yeah, over something that's not entirely not their fault. Um, but you know what? In a, in any situation like this, it's time to think about number one. You got to think of yourself, you know. And there's never been a better time. To pick up a lot of games on the cheap. We had a guy in our office walk to game yesterday, game in Bath, and pick up Forza 3 and Bayonetta for £5 total. <laughs> New. 
Yeah. Who cares if it's pre-owned at that price? Yeah. Do you yeah. This gonna be the disc in the CD case. I take it. I, I bought um, a Nintendo DS game for ninety-eight pence. Advance Wars. Oh, that's a great. The game. new one. Hot, the newest one. Yeah. The, yeah. Two, uh, yeah. That's a great game. Free days home days delivery. It's probably costing them what to send that to me. It literally is. It costs them what to send one, it yeah, to me. This one needs space in their warehouse, right? So yeah. You need to clear out space. Um, it's time to take advantage of this. And hey, maybe you're taking advantage of the game's current financial woes. Will help them. Vultures circling. Well, it, maybe it helps them transition into that. I mean, that's what it's for. It's either a going out of business sale, which I genuinely don't think it is. I think they're doing what they can to save the business. Yeah. And that means making a lot of cash. All at once, just a lot of liquid cash. That's what they need. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They need lots of liquid money, and if this gets them it, maybe they can transition into becoming like I say, like essentially a pawn shop. But then what you're looking at is a is the same result either way. A uh, high street with no brand new games. Yeah, it's bad. It's bad news for us. We need game. You know what game? Uh, you see, you know, like a pawn shop. You know, in a pawn shop window. You have lots of stuff stacked up, not unboxed, with a little card saying yeah. how much it is, like mm. old TVs. When I was in game the other day, behind the till, usually they've got like a nice sort of uh, plush, you know, bit of advertising. Oh, this is going to be a sad story, yeah, isn't it? Was it was just like uh, call all the handheld consoles, DS, Vita, all out of their box, sort of propped up, just in a little, like a, like a oh. pawn shop window with like prices written in hand on card. Next it literally looked like a pawn shop. You expect would, the till to have a mesh over it. I would it. like to be. I like to see the email that came down from head office and just said, "Look, everything must go." Yeah, yeah. Mm. Just get it out there. Get it sold. It's it's incredible. And but you know what? It is a sad day. And I've still harbour this dream. We've talked about on the podcast this bit before of loads of independent stores rising up in their place. There's gonna be a lot of people who've managed game stores who have had to work for. Probably like a head office that they're constantly have to bang their head against the wall over, saying like, yeah. "What? Please, can we just not do this thing?" And now finally, they can. Maybe they go ahead and they open up their own store in the vacant lot where game used to be, and they go on to some success. Maybe this really is the end of big games on the high street, and it, yeah. it is a problem because game are pussy cats compared to supermarkets. Like if ever the guy from um, Paradox this week said, you know what, game have been bullying us for years. They've been, they're bullies, and this is karma. He said, this is, this is just karma for, like, they don't stack, they don't stock, like, niche PC titles, they don't stock all this stuff. Yeah. So what, do you think, so, do you think Asda are going to? Yeah, Do you think yeah. Asda are going to put Paradox games That's on right, shelves? Yeah, yeah. Like, compared to, uh, like, game, the, the supermarkets are just, they're killers. They're stone-cold killers. And they're not going to have room for Paradox's games. They're not going to have room... For Capcom's games either, they're not going to put a copy of Asura's Wrath on yeah. shelves. They're not going to put, co- put the next Ridge Race next on to shelves. the Adele CDs. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's what they're going to be selling. And without a high street shop that's willing to pick up those kinds of games, yeah, I don't know. I think the high street needs a big change. Maybe GameSpot step in. Yeah. Uh, GameStop rather. GameStop from Maybe GameStop. US, yeah. yeah. US games. I mean, they've got a few stores in Britain. And apparently, they've been in the market for buying game for a long time. The only reason they don't want it is because game have an international operation, which is costing them a lot of money. Mm. So they don't want to pick it up. I mean, maybe. Do you think this is going to hasten the transition to uh, to more digital sales, more online sales of, of full games? I mean, if if the high street's declining, we still don't have the the broadband for it in the UK. We still yeah. don't have the bandwidth. It took me three hours to download a game on on Steam or Xbox it's, Live. It's fine if you live in Singapore or Kuala Lumpur mm. or something where they've got broadband, like a fifty meg broadband yeah. as standard with Korea. with fifty meg down, like for fifty meg up, yeah. symmetrical connection. Well, like in, in in our office, we've got um, 
be, you know, Future being a large company, they've got some fast internet. And I can go on, you know, the review network and download a, a three gig Xbox Live game in like 15 minutes. Yeah. But that's because it's a business T1 line or whatever. Mm. And in my house, I get like five, six meg download speed and it will take me two or three hours to download. I've got one like of the that. best broadband packages it's possible to get in this country and it still sucks. Yeah. It just straight sucks because we, we haven't got the, we had, we had a chance years ago to become like a world leader in broadband. The nation and the government, BT, whoever is responsible, blew it. And now we're, we lag behind the rest of the yeah. world on this. On this BT are um, fiber optics becoming They're more common. They're finally catching up. Yeah, yeah. We're, but we're way behind. Even countries that would be seen as less developed than us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm having to wait. Where I live, not getting it for another year. Fiber optic broadband. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're in Bath, you, you're in Bath, you basically aren't getting it at all because uh, Bath Council were very opposed yeah. to anyone doing well, it on the road. They're, they're allowed now, and I, I'm, I'm actually getting it um, in a couple of weeks. Excellent. But um, it's taken this long, you know, me dealing with the rubbish uh, cable DSL line for so long. Yeah. I think, um, especially with Microsoft's new dashboard, which wants to sell you stuff like films and downloadable games and all sorts, yeah. and that's what, it, what it's designed for. I think there's there's real disconnect between what we what we're actually capable of and what they want us to do and you know I, I think that's unfortunate you know I I would I would buy more stuff I would like get films off Xbox Live I would sign up to Love Film Digital I'd love I love the idea of that but on a six meg connection yeah I mean it's just unthinkable well I check it out I was chatting to Matt Castle the other week and he like his broadband connection like a lot of connections in the UK it has a cap on it. Mm. and after that cap you start getting charged now even mine has a cap on it and I could pay to get the cap removed but it's like an extra tenner a month my cap is I think like four gig a day and after that they throttle the broadband they don't lock it off they just throttle it down to a real slow speed you can, it's kind of fine like four I'm not, I don't often I do four, four gig a day every now and again I do but Matt Castle has one where if he exceeds his cap in a month mm. They let him keep downloading, but he gets charged for every every gig after that. That's madness. I'm, I'm on a, it's madness, right? I'm on infinite. I, I, can, I don't have any well, caps. Or he's, um, he's, not like quite, he's not quite the dweeb I am where I'm like like leeching stuff off of Usenet and just like constantly just pounding content. Yeah. So you get an awareness for how big things are. You get an awareness that an episode of Spartacus at 720p is a two-gig file. Yeah, yeah. So he's a big movie guy. He uses Netflix constantly. He said to me, he's like, my bill came in this month and it was like it was like 80 quid, his broadband bill, or whatever it was. was and I said to him, he said, I'm not downloading anything. Is it something my, my flatmate's doing? I was like, no, do you, do you download? What do you use your net for? He's like, just watching movies and stuff. I was yeah. like, mm-hmm. it's like, boom, you just watched a movie. You just downloaded seven gig. Yeah. Like you just downloaded an X264 movie. That's a, that's a seven gig file, gone. And just because you're streaming it in, yeah. you don't notice. Yeah. It's, but you've just slammed seven gig. And like this, the, the UK broadband is not set up for this when you have most services unless you're willing to pay that little extra, throttled or capped. Yeah. It's, it's, we, we aren't ready for digital, not in this country. It sounds like there's going to be a gap then. There's going to be a gap between our, our wonderful digital future well, guess and games what? on the high the street. Games are only going to get bigger. The mm. next Xbox is going, to have to, is going to need a Blu-ray drive. Blu-ray is not an ideal format for games. But what you're going to see the next Xbox and the next PS3 supporting is wholesale installs of games because it will negate the, uh, the ridiculous load times on Blu-ray. So you'll get your game, your whole game, on this Blu-ray disc. You'll install the whole thing. So you'll get nice hard drive, fast load times. But let's say you want to download that game and install it straight to your hard drive. Well, good luck with that. Star Wars The Old Republic just came out and there's a 30 gig installer. Yeah. 
Like, I can't imagine how long that would take, take for me to download. I mean, uh, yeah. a day. Even on my connection, that was two days. Yeah, I left it overnight twice. <laughs> the, ch the chances of my connection not dropping out while I was downloading yeah. a 30 gig file is just non-existent. Don't think that's rare. The, um, the Total War games on, uh, on PC are like big, like 15 gig installers. Yeah. It's, this is what you're going to be expecting to get in next-gen games. But then it's all about uh, developers will have to start learning about more intelligent compression techniques because, you know, Skyrim, weirdly, is only like 6 gig. Yeah, but Skyrim looks like balls. Yeah, like, there's a lot of repeated assets. Like any PC gamer will tell you Skyrim looks like balls. That's why they had to wait for the HD pack, which was, was yeah. added like a gig and a half to the main yeah, file. Yeah. Like, on console, it looks, it looks pretty sweet. And on PC, it looks really good too. But... PC gamers sort of demand that extra level of shininess, yeah. extra level of quality. Uh, when guys who are developing exclusively for PC, like Creative Assembly, can happily do that. But when you're developing across all three, yeah. you optimize for the consoles first. So another big thing that has happened this week has been GDC. Yeah. Now, there has been a few Microsoft things come out of it. Well, they came out of their, uh, their spring showcase a couple of days before GDC. Uh, stuff like Halo, Forza Horizon. Yeah, first multiplayer footage of Halo. The Forza game we've been talking about on this podcast for a long time. Uh, originally called Forza World, now called Forza Horizon. Mm -hmm. uh, none of it particularly impressed me or dazzled me. Uh, you're, you're, you're smoking crack. Halo, really? four, Halo 4, new Forza game this year. New, yeah. Two it's, new it's Fable good. games. I mean, the, yeah, it's the, the quantity of games is good. I like the fact that there's another another couple of Fables. I like the fact that Halo's coming out this year. I saw the Halo footage, I thought, it looks a lot like old Halo to me. With really nice lighting and like, you know, great new art and uh, a belting engine. Mm. It's, uh, there's um, a, a sort of a sense of, uh, with this point in a generation, to go, ah, it looks just like the game I played, you know, before. But then you play the game that you played before and you realise that it really, really doesn't. Yeah. That's the whole Mass Effect 1, Mass, Mass Effect, Effect 3 yeah. thing. You Even go, go back to 2. Like yeah, I, yeah, you used to play Mass Effect 3 and you're like, oh, it looks just like Mass Effect 2. Which, and, and when you played Mass Effect 2, you were like, oh, it looks just like Mass Effect 1. Yeah. You play Mass Effect 1 right now and see how it looks. Go play Halo 3 right now and see how it looks. Guess what? It looks really nice. Good looking game. But you know, the new Halo is the first truly HD Halo game. Bun none of Bungie's Halos ever maxed out the 720p resolution. This one does. It's got lighting, god rays. Those things are stuff that's only possible with this, this new set of consoles. It's the first Halo... Actually, not the first Halo, because Reach had a bit of anti-aliasing as well. Uh, ODST and Halo 3 had no anti-aliasing. The new Halo does. And these are really geeky things to get excited about. But if you think those are the tiny technical improvements they've made, what are the creative improvements they've made? There's going to be some exciting stuff coming out about Halo in the next couple of months. We need to see more about Halo, but... Just, just from what I saw, I wasn't as impressed as I thought I would be. The biggest disappointment, I think, was the uh, the Forza Horizon trailer, which was just a bunch of stock video. Mm. Really? Thanks, thanks, guys. I, I don't deny Forza Horizon is going to be brilliant, but given the talent, yeah, that's the, they, they've, they've got like they've got ex Cody's devs, who've ex, worked on ex Dirt, Project Gotham ex guys, Project Gotham, yeah, they've oh, really? Black Rock guys, yeah, and it's a UK All studio that's devs. making Horizon, isn't it's it? It's a UK studio, something, mm. something to be genuinely proud of. Microsoft are backing. A brand new UK studio, and they're absolutely throwing made up it. of some of the. Yeah. Make no mistake. I think perhaps in part thanks to Peter Molyneux's influence on the company, and he was he's their creative director for all game studios. Mm. Thanks to Peter Molyneux's influence on the company, I think there's a great respect for British creative talent. They backed um, the APB devs at Real Time Worlds when yeah. they were making Crackdown, and Crackdown was their first game. 
Of course, thanks to APB, the company went under, but Microsoft with Crackdown, you know, really backed Crackdown. <coughs> and then for Crackdown 2, they backed Ruffian, a uh, yeah. breakout studio in Dundee. Mm. They're backing, they backed Lionhead, they backed Rare. They're well, backing some, the new... They helped build a brand new studio, Playground Games. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of the best devs in the world are British. Batman, Team I would argue, Steady. I would argue almost all of the best devs Rock in the world are, are Brits. Mm. And even if you go to like the best devs you abroad, English accents are everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sefton Hill said this in the interview we did a few months ago. Britain's background in home computing, thanks to Uncle Clive Sinclair. Yeah, yeah. It gave Britain a background in computing that is the envy of the world yeah. and, and should rightly be. And you go to Eastern Europe and it's the same. You've got devs pumping out games like The Witcher on, yeah. on budgets that are so tiny compared to like Skyrim budgets. Yeah, Those yeah. guys should not be able to make that game. No, it's mm. in, given the size of their team and the money they've got going into that game, it, that game should be impossible because to make. Because they're coding geniuses. But they're so talented yeah. because they, and you talk to them. Sturmovic. You talk to them, you say, what did you grow up playing? They didn't say NES, they didn't say Mega Drive, they didn't say Master System. They say C C Spectrum. B yeah. they, they, say, I, I say, they say I had a 48K Spectrum and I did my first demo. I, did, I was part of the demo scene. Jaeger yeah. did that. The Jaeger guys and Commodore 64s and early Amigas, like the most basic Amigas you could get across the, uh, yeah. the Berlin Wall. Well, while Cliffy B was you know, riding his skateboard uh, up, up a ramp... And you know, munching on a hot dog. These Serbian guys were in bunkers writing hardcore they, code they, on they it. Were, they were they cut the Jaeger guys cut their teeth hacking Amiga games so they could pirate them just so people on the wrong side of the Berlin Wall could play them. So they they had to they had to get like a fundamental understanding of yeah. these games and how they worked just so they could play yeah. them. The, the Metro devs as well, another good example. Again, there's so yeah. much. They, those guys yeah. should not... Stalker devs, they should yeah, not yeah. be able to make the games they're making on the budgets they're making them on, but they've got such um, talent. You'll be able to read this in the next issue of Xbox World, but when I went out to see Witcher for the cover feature, which is in the current issue, um, they took us around a little studio tour of the, uh, of the devs at CD Project. It's in a cave. And... Um, <laughs> It's, it's just you know it's just a nice industrial unit somewhere in Warsaw. It's very un, un, unextraordinary, and they said right, we're going to go on a little tour of the studio now. Oh, lovely, lovely chaps are there. They are at, super nice at CD nice. Project, and uh, they walked us down this this uh, corridor. Must have been ten meters long. Said oh, over here we've got our coders. Yep, we've got our artists over there. We went around the corner. They said yep, there's our um, there's our designers there, and there's some admin there. We went around the corner again. And that was it. Hmm. Their, their studio is tiny. Yeah. I mean, it's just, they, they, they've got, what, 50 people maybe at most? At most. Yeah. And, and they, the they've made an RPG that looks better than Skyrim. The funny thing is, Rocksteady's got a beautiful studio. Mm -hmm. But again, it's basically exactly the same size, very small. Just yeah. a ton of talent. And they're making, like, that's one of the best games in the world. You've got, uh, in game in the UK, everyone forgets GTA's made in the UK. We've got so much to be proud of on our game, our I gaming so. talent. Biggest game in the world, um, yeah, yeah, made by Scottish guys. Yeah, and Microsoft, uh, like I say, are, are willing to back that kind of talent when they decide they want to do slightly unusual stuff, you know? That's good for them. What are the f Fable games, quickly? So there is... The one which was announced at E3 last year, Fable of the Journey, which is the Kinect-powered mm -hmm. Fable game, and the downloadable one. Yeah, Fable Heroes. Which is a downloadable sort of four-player Castle Crashers sort of game. Yeah, it, um, I, I like the look of Fable Heroes more than yeah. Fable: The Journey. I think it just looks like a lot of fun. Uh, I'd, I'd like another proper Fable RPG, like a, yeah. but may, maybe Microsoft are saving that for 
well, you a next-gen console that they might... Peter Molyneux, you know, tell you the journey really is a proper RPG. You just control it with Kinect. Well, yeah. you say ask Peter Molyneux. <laughs> we'll be able to soon. Yeah, Peter Molyneux is leaving Microsoft. Yeah. He's not been there long, has he? He's been there, God, almost... Ten years. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> right. Long enough. Yeah. I thought yeah, he was he's, still he's at Lionhead. He's off ski. No, no, he's always been he's still, he's still at Lionhead, but he's also oversees all of yeah, Microsoft right. Studios. Uh he's decided I guess he wants to do his own thing because he's going to set up his own independent studio, or rather a bunch of his team have gone off to set up an independent studio. Yeah. And he'll be joining them. Probably as I don't know, one of the programmers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. or PR. Or yeah, or maybe he'll be the guy who runs the company. He'll be on reception. Is, is telling he, everyone about the game when they yeah, come in. Yeah, saying how great it's going to be, yeah. how it's going to change. I've seen everything. how amazing the office is. Like, oh, it's amazing. They've got gold chairs. They've got curtains yeah. of velvet. And you go in, and it's like a dingy yeah. basement. But it was We're going to be installing a home cinema in a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was funny because a few months, like about a week before, my to Pete said he was leaving. A bunch of guys from Lionhead said, "We're actually going to go off and set up our own studio now." You're like, oh, okay, well, see you later, guys. And then uh, like a week later, Peter Molyneux announces, oh, by the way, he's following them. <laughs> Except, of course, I imagine he's not following them. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, they, he's he sat, the he sat there. He like, sat there. Stop. Said, you guys go set this studio up and I'll join you when I'm I done. I might with. see you later. I'll join you when my contract's up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah it's, it's, um, I think it's great for Peter Molyneux. Mm. Any chance for Peter to do something other than Fable games? He's been making literally only Fable games for the last eight years. Yeah. I'm excited about that. He'll have a lot to talk about when he gets back in circulation. The funniest thing about the whole thing was in the statement he released, he said, it's with mixed emotions I'm departing Microsoft. That, to me, says there's a story to be yeah, told. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he didn't say I'm devastated. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm sad. Well, he didn't say I'll be sad. It's the easiest thing in the world to say in a statement. I'm going to be sad to see the back of all my friends here. It's gonna, I'm going to really miss everybody. I'm going to miss... I've, I've had a great 10 years with Microsoft. Yeah. That's the easiest... Mm. Even if it's bullshit, it's the easiest thing to say. That he didn't say it... Yeah. ...is, mm. I think, speaks <clears throat> volumes. Well, maybe they met, you know, he's sad to leave, but excited to move on to the future. Hey, that's one spin on it, but the other yeah. spin on it is like, I'm getting out because uh, it's... Uh, yeah. It's, well, uh, it's bad news there. We've um, we talked briefly about little studios. Let's talk about one thing which has got... It's just got money dripping out of it that appeared at GDC, which isn't going to be on Xbox. It's the uh, Quantic Dream demo. Yeah. Uh, it was called Cara, wasn't Cara, it? Cara, yeah. Um, incredible demo. Go online and have a watch of it if you haven't already because, you know, it is... It's all sort of done on a PlayStation 3. It's by David Cage, who made Heavy Rain. We've talked about Heavy Rain on this uh, podcast before. Um, so it, it looks incredible, with it. and it looks full yeah, of money. But there's a reason it looks incredible, because there's nothing happening in it. It's every single polygon the PS3 can pump out. And bear in mind, when you develop a game just for PS3, you do see how powerful that machine can be. It's not many devs who do it, but when like mm. you look at Uncharted, like you can do some serious shit with a PS3. Just nobody does. The that game, every single polygon the PS3 can pump out is being put into that girl's face. Yeah, their facial animation in that is well, genuinely that, that amazing. Mean, you said nothing's happening. That's what's happening. They're doing um, the. It's all she's powering in, her she's that in amazing. She's in, a, she's in an empty room. What I'm saying is the it's not translatable to anything. that's a game. Not translatable yeah. to anything that so you can play. They, I don't think they said it was though. That's the thing. No, it was, they, you know, but what's what's <clears> to get excited about? Then? Why should why should we why should we get it's excited a tech about? Well, why, you, what's to be excited it, about? What's the application? There's no application for it because it's incredible. Because it's it's showing a, a subtlety of lip sync and, and eye movement that is has not. Uh, it shows a subtlety of lip syncing and eye movement you'll never see in a game. 
Yeah, well, you know, I I think, you know, they've made they've made this thing and it's running not on CG pre-rendered. It's running in real time on on a current generation of hardware. It's just a it's a bit of technology that can entice you for something in the future, or it can show you that the current uh, hardware has some power left in it. It's super cool. It I don't think they're amazing. saying you know I don't think they're saying this you know this is going to be a game or this uh, this is to get you excited about a game. It's just a bit of his studio, you know, as as much creators of technology as they are, you know, more more so than making games. You got to sell it though. <clears throat> it's got to be worth yeah. something. At the, yeah. end, at the end of the day, you're a business and you have to sell stuff. Yeah, well, I, I think, think whether you know the, the heavier intact demo was bit up a lot of excitement, didn't it? You know, it did, it did, and it actually ended up becoming yeah. something of a game. You know, it would, yeah. the heavy rain sort of spun out of a tech demo, which was in a way unrelated yeah. to heavy rain. People are a sucker for a bit of advanced tech and I think that's what the what the the resting on. But it's no more exciting than the Samaritan demo from last year. Mm. Uh it's an amazing piece of tech, but even like even that Samaritan demo, you looked at it and they, they, they sat there and they said, We can pump out these kind of visuals if we have X amount of power. Yeah, yeah. You cannot do anything with the tech they're demoing in Cara. Yeah. It is there's a dead end. Even on the next generation of machines if you have that degree of facial animation, if you have that degree of, of character in every performance, that degree of, of, of on-the-fly <clears throat> acting, you can't do anything else but that. But I think saying that it's just the face is uh, doing a disservice to what else is mm. happening in the frame where you've got um, all those um, arms, you've got the, the her in it, you know, you see her heart beating, you've got all this, the flesh appearing, you've got her entire body, just because it's in a white room. Doesn't mean nothing else is happening, but the face. You know, if you look at the rest of the Again, picture, they're, they're throwing incredible animation tech at it, incredible animation at the face, incredible animation at the body, right down to the fingertips, mm. and it blows my mind. But you know what? It doesn't do sell anything, yeah. anything whatsoever. But you know, GDC is a, a, a conference for games developers, and it's about technology. Mm. It's not about selling games. At, you know, it's not E three saying it's, it's a, it's these a, are exciting It's, it's game. about at the same time, it's about marketable technologies, though. It's about technologies that are valuable and useful, and I don't see any... I don't think we know enough to make that call, though. We don't know about the... Um, just by looking at that technology, we can't determine that they might have some new process, the way that cry, the CryEngine does, where it can make effects for way less processing power. We don't know anything well, about you, the... Did the, you see recently a guy basically finally cracked skin? Oh, he came really? up with a really simple, low-power process, so yeah. something which uses... Like to do realistic skin before, you actually needed a really powerful rig. I mean, truly realistic yeah. skin. Bump, bump, mat. You and, need a beast mm, of yeah. a rig. Like you know, to, and, and, only, and even then, it only appears in like small tech demos. Yeah. This guy, working, I believe, at a university, has cracked skin. He's just done it. Yeah. And it's a simple two-pass process. So it, you get that translucency of skin, and that quality that the skin yeah. has. It's so hard to replicate with almost no processing power at all. That's amazing and if you yeah. if, if that's what david cage is getting at with his demo that we were able to do this yeah. with such minimal processor overhead that you were able to put this into games to use this yeah. and actually build games off the back of it then it's amazing yeah. well you know I, I, yeah. it changes everything I, I i don't you know think that is what he's done i'm just you know being i'm being uh, before i judge it i'd like to know the processes behind it yeah um yeah you know stuff like that i think there's another thing going on with Sony have been reluctant to say that they're going to be showing any next-gen stuff at E3. Yeah. Which seems odd because everyone assumes they're going to. So maybe their statement is, look, this is what we can run on PS3. ps 3 still got it. The yeah. thing is, though, I'm Even hearing... Even if it is a bit of a I'm bit hearing of an from illusion. developers, though, that 
that when Microsoft, when Sony, sorry, say they're not showing anything at E3, developers are going, really? Mm. We're pretty sure you are. Yeah. Like developers who are working on Sony platforms, like they're expecting to show things on so on yeah. and say it's for PS4 and Xbox, the next Xbox. Um, if that's true, if they don't show anything, what's going to happen is Microsoft are going to roll into E3 with like 20 third-party exclusives. Yeah. Of course, they won't be exclusives because they'll eventually come to PS4. But for this one E3, yeah. they'll be exclusives. The, the logo mm. at the end of the trailer will be... Xbox, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Not be bad for and Sony. And that will be so. real bad for Sony. Yeah. So they, I, I mean, let's say Kojima rolls in with his new Fox Engine game. Yeah, yeah. Let's say oh, uh, you bring in God. Who's another big third-party developer? Maybe the next Batman game debuts at E3. Yeah. Mm. And they say they're all saying it's a next-gen game. Well, if there's only one next-gen console, yeah, yeah, then it's an exclusive to that console for the time being. That would just they should Sony should at least just release a logo so they could put it on the end exactly. of trailers. Exactly. Just anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe that's what will happen. Uh, maybe they will say uh, next-gen consoles. I think they'll say there'll be no logo. Of course, all next-gen platforms. Yeah, platforms. Yeah, because yeah. 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 yeah, console. That's a word devs love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's been an exciting week. Well, I'll say sorry about the Quantic Dream thing. Someone, yeah. someone said on Twitter, and I think it, it bears mentioning, because any chance I can take after a little dig at heavy rains <laughs> is, a, is, a, is a good day for me. Um, it said they said it's uh, it's nice that um, David Cage is now ripping off a uh, Bjork video from 1999, <laughs> which I guess is a step up considering he's been ripping off a uh, a David Fincher movie from 1995 for the last you know ten years. <laughs> it's true. It's it's, ki- it's, it's kind of true, right? Someone get Cage to the Burns. Ooh, Ooh, sick burn. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually I like, like David. David I, I do. I like David Cage. I really like French devs in general because they they're really again they chase whimsies. They chase yeah. look at Eric Chahi, the guy. Just goes, you know what? I really like volcanoes, so I'm going to go and bugger off for two years <laughs> yeah. and look at volcanoes and then make a game about volcanoes. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's because he just ch- chases whimsies, and David Cage does the same. And it's super Michel cool. Ansel as well. Michel Ansel, like who? He says, I'm going to make a 2D Rayman game. You're like, yeah. that's going to suck. Who, yeah. who else could yeah. Who else would be allowed to make that game? Yeah, yeah. Like, no developer would fund it. And it comes out and it's badass. Yeah, it sounds and all right. David Cage yeah. goes, you know what, Sony, give me a few million and I'll make you the best looking tech demo on PS3 anyone's ever seen. And guess what? He did it. Yeah, and yeah. it's awesome. Yeah. But can you can you play it? No, not yet. <laughs> but what you can play is Mass Effect, which is out today when you're listening to this. If you yeah. buy this on Friday. If you listen to this uh, on available Friday. Available from game, games, uh, uh, <laughs> oh, the no. internet. Um, the, the most retweeted post we ever had on Twitter was where was actually when Matt Castle's joke, oh, yeah. which was there are now more copies of Mass Effect in space than there <laughs> okay. are in game. Bam! Um, if you want a review of Mass Effect, the new issue of Xbox World is out now. It features a nice big six-page review of Mass Effect to elaborate on all our comments and tell you how all no spoilers. But I think it's probably the best issue we've ever done. We've got, in, we got an interview with Tamim Antinides, uh, who's working on Devil May Cry at the moment. Mm-hmm. An amazing interview in which he talks about big tits, among other things. Yeah. Well, we, more than anything, he answers the criticisms of the internet. This is everyone, the, everyone who's kicked off and said, I hate the new Devil May Cry character. I hate him. We told him that, and we've got his responses. Well, we, we went to him with a big list of complaints from the internet mm. and had him, one after another, address every complaint the internet it, has about the game. It is a cracking interview. We've also got Ken Levine. We've got Ken Levine. Exclusive to Xbox Exclusive World, Bioshock Talking about Bioshock there, yeah. Infinite. 
We've got uh, uh, we got we got the I the guys from IO talking about Hitman. Yeah, we got, we got uh, the guys from CD Projekt yeah. exclusively on The Witcher. I played it as well, so it's all in there. They need to update their uh, dev name, you know, because CDs are so yeah. old hat. Yeah, they'll change it to DVD when Blu-ray standard. <laughs> Blu-ray Studio Project. Um, we've got all sorts. Re- Resi, nice. Big Resi Six preview. All oh, sorts man. in there. The, it's, the, it's packed. It's the packed access that we we've, we've been given in this issue, this issue, the access we've chased mm-hmm. and put in the magazine. Best issue ever. Um, as ever, also check us out on Facebook and on Twitter at Xbox World Mag. Um, until then, goodbye. Enjoy Mass Effect 3, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. So, on the last podcast, a few people asked for stories from the days I was working at a cinema. And I couldn't remember any at the time, but I have remembered a couple since. I've been racking my brain. I think my favourite is, uh, it goes back to something I've always said about working in customer service, which is when, when you have to clean up someone else's poo, someone, someone else's poo, you know where you stand in the world. Like you, know where you, you know your place in the world, right? So when you first start in any customer service job, you're always like on the bottom rung, even among like the rest regular staff that work there, because they know all the systems, they know all the little the little dodges you can do. And over time, you gradually become that guy because more of the people leave, and then you guys come in, and then you sort of get to they get to be the schlub, you know. So there's a there's a thing which you very quickly learn, which is that when someone comes out of the toilets, a customer comes out of the toilets and says to you, I think there's he needs cleaning up, it's a mess in there. It's, a, it's bad news. The worst thing they can say is, I think someone's had an accident in the toilets. <laughs> when that happened, when that's happened, you know it's, you know it's going to be bad. You know it's going to be bad. So what you do when you've been there for a while is you grab the new guy, because you've earned this right, trust me, because you, you've done it yourself. You grab the new guy and you go, do you reckon you can do a toilet check? Just check the toilets. Just check them both. Make sure they're okay. Make sure they're cool. It'd be like, oh, okay. Because much like the old Hugh Smelt It, Dealt It rule, there's a rule among these things. If you find it, it's kind of your responsibility to clean it up. So you send him on a uh, toilet check, and he gets it, and and he has to clean has to clean up the mess. So I, that eventually I got to be able to do that. But when I first started, I, I was just like walking around and just tearing tickets and stuff. And something someone must have come out and said to one of the other rushers. There's a uh, uh, someone's had an accident in uh, the bathroom because he says to me, he's going up to me and goes, "Hey, Mike, do you reckon you could do a toilet check?" And I'm like, "Yeah, no worries, no worries. Let's give a check." In my naivety, and I go into one of the toilets on one side and it's fine. I go into the toilets on the other side, and someone's done something diabolical, man. There's a perfect, just a, a monster of a turd in one of the urinals, and it's caused the whole like toilet to flood. And it's it's just it's perfect, and the only thing you there's nothing you can do. It has to be fished out with like a bag or a pair of gloves or something. And so I'm I'm faced with this dilemma because I've discovered it. So I walk out the toilets, just like whistling. I go up to the front and I go, um, he goes, is it uh is it a mess or anything? I go, no, 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 it's fine. Both you you're both real clean. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, fine. Go check for yourself if you don't believe me. And he did. And it became his job. <laughs>